If you grew up in a home with tons of rules, maybe you feel disconnected from your own inner compass. Maybe you were never encouraged to get in touch with your feelings. Maybe you had to take on way too much responsibility as a young person and were validated for being so mature and easygoing, which is pretty much code for having no needs and inconveniencing others. I'm curious about how these early experiences might shape our relationships, especially our romantic ones. If you're new here, I'm Dr. Mandy Leto, and this is Enough, the podcast. If you're a regular listener, woohoo, welcome back. I'm so glad that you're here. So today, I want you to meet Dr. Sasha Mitrovanov, a coach and therapist. Sasha used to have zero clue on how to navigate intimate relationships. So his strategy was to become whoever his partner wanted him to be, thinking that if he was the nice, compliant guy, that would buy him love, sex, connection. Yeah, let me know how you think that worked out for him. So Sasha joined the Seduction Society to learn their techniques. But because he hadn't done any of the deep inner work of knowing and accepting himself, the Seduction Society thing flopped for him. This conversation is about how an anxious, highly sensitive, slightly autistic man who identified as a nice guy created himself into a boundaried, grounded person with a strong sense of self. And by the way, it helped him to find love. Sasha shares some of the most powerful tools he learned in his 15-year journey, ones that he now uses with his clients working through anxiety and feelings of not enoughness. Sidebar, I've been trying his mirror exercise that he talks about with fascinating results. So listen in for that one. So I drop us right into the conversation, asking what it was like to be the young Sasha. Ready? Let's dive in. I grew up in a family without a father. And so my mom, who was anxious and overwhelmed bringing me up, uh, really, there was just so, there was no space for my emotions, for my feelings, for my needs. A lot of it, even though she was there taking care of me, but, you know, I felt like almost obliged to take care of her emotional needs. And even to the extreme, it, it's, it felt sometimes because, okay, yes, I was smart, I still am. And maybe she's less. So she's always like from the age of like seven or eight, asking me like, Sasha, what this? What's about that? What's about that? And she was really like, I became her quasi-husband, which was really, really wrong for, for a little boy. And uh, in a way, it was a lot of my childhood teenage years was in that kind of creepy, strange role. And to the point of when I was thinking of dating when I was 13, it was like, no, 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 no. It's like, I cannot be unfaithful to my mother. It's like, okay, it's wrong for me kind of to be wanting about kind of kissing this girl. No, 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 I need to tell my mom. And then my mom would be like, jealous and no, you're not supposed to do that. Sasha grew up in the Soviet Union, where it was all about collective values. So not only was Sasha playing the role of quasi-husband at home with his mom, where it was all about her needs, but the society he grew up in also wasn't designed to encourage individuals to connect with their emotional needs. Add to this Sasha's experience of being singled out and threatened for being different at school. And even more so, I remember even the kindergarten when I was like six or seven, and my natural um, personality is kind of a little bit autistic, but also kind of extroverted and, and loud, which is kind of a weird combination. And so it's kind of uncalibrated to other people, but loud. 
And I got really, really uh, kind of beaten up for that. Well, not literally, but definitely threatened with big needles by kindergarten nurse or held to wall by kindergarten teaching shaking and said like, you, you Mitrofanov, you are the last here. Okay, so basically stay quiet and shut up. And all of that led to even more of that inner suppression. So I didn't know who I am growing up. I didn't know what I wanted. When I was graduating from school, I knew I had like my maths and physics majors. I wanted to do psychology, but I didn't have the majors. I didn't want to get sent to Chechnya. So I went to engineering, not because I wanted. I had no idea what I wanted. In fact, it only hit me like a truck when I was like 23 here doing my PhD. Is that it was a strange feeling. It's like somehow I'm in one place. Somehow I don't fit in this environment. I'm like, oh, what is that strange feeling? What is that strange feeling? And it was just this quiet voice from within. For the first time since I was five, was waking up in saying there is more to your life, there is something else that you want. And it was strange. New feeling. So if you're out of touch with your needs, it can mean that you're contorting yourself, bending to be whoever you think you need to be in a relationship. It becomes a performance of the self rather than you actually being yourself. So this is certainly my experience growing up committed to perfectionism and because, you know, we're human beings, it becomes a performance of perfectionism because we can't maintain that stuff. This is exactly what Abby Gibb and I talk about in episode eight. So catch that one if you haven't already. So in a minute, Sasha's going to share with us how he contorted himself in his early romantic relationship. And he talks about the kind of analogy of the poop and nail polish covered diamond. <laughs> um, what? It's an analogy used by Brandon Bayes in the Journey book, wherein we apparently have three layers. So the first layer is the diamond that we actually are. The second layer is the crap that we cover the diamond in, like all our fears about our squinchy inadequacies and all that other bulldookie. And third is the nail polish. And I'm air quoting here, the nail polish we use to cover the poop on the diamond, which is all up performing and hustling for worth, trying super hard to effort at shining. And obviously the nail polish shine is nothing like the sparkle of the true gem that we are underneath. So just wanted to explain that analogy. So let's get back to Sasha to find out how his disconnection from himself played out in his romantic relationships. Well, what relationships? I didn't really have many. I probably will be living somewhere still in the basement with my mom and just doing my whatever boring work. Again, completely unaware of what I actually want, suppressing my sexuality, just watching porn online somewhere, kind of in private as my sex life. So I had to leave to begin with, which I did. I was 23. There was no real dating before that. I was too shy, I was too anxious, I was too scared to show to the world who I was. So all the dating I had, all the relationships were only after I left Russia and came here to the UK after 23. And, and of course it came out, it came out big time. It's like to the point of, uh, again, I was putting on uh, that facade of whatever I thought my girlfriends wanted me to be. And it was, you know, for the first, I heard this metaphor for the first time from Brandon Bates and here the journey book. It was this three layer diamonds in the shed. It's like who I am is that 
diamond that I didn't perceive as diamond, but I actually perceived it as a piece of shit. Okay, and then covering this up uh, is being afraid of that and kind of trying to kind of to hide it away as much as I could. And then on top of that is pretending who I am, the third layer, that nail vanish cover, cover version. So that's what I was presenting, you know, in all my relationships. It, it, it was so extreme is that I remember just being there in the same room with my, with my girlfriend. I would be afraid but my language to fault because I didn't want you to see that imperfect image of me that's got bodily functions. And uh, it was in everything. Uh, of course, I would just go and do what uh, uh, they would want me to do. Uh, I would not really be in touch with uh, my masculinity or have male friends. And this is the standard story for many, many nice guys. So a lot of this will be a combination of, um, of letting them do whatever they want to do, and yet forbidding myself my own needs and desires. Ever since I came to England and I was like, okay, so I haven't dated a girl in my life and I have no idea how to go about it. And I don't see that women pay any attention to me. I'm like, okay, so I'm an engineer. I was an engineer then. How do I go about attracting women? Okay, they've got to be aware. They've got to be method. And so I joined that underground society called Seduction Society for men who are completely useless and lots of them were nice guys, wanting to date, wanting to be loved, appreciated, you know, to have sex in their lives instead of masturbating somewhere in the basement. So how to go about it? And, and there was, and there was this instructor's teachers, and it was very much like, I don't know if you read the book, it's called The Game by Neil Strauss. Yes, about I have. All of those, yeah, or pickup artists in, in, uh, in San Francisco somewhere, or Los Angeles. Well, I met half of the guys. So I was there kind of in nightclubs, in, in, in bars and clubs, and even in daytime. And they're telling me, it's like, okay, so go and approach that girl or go approach those two girls. And it was like two set, three set, this target, that target. Okay, here's your wingman. Just all kind of very military uh, terminology. It's like, and say that, say that. Okay, from there, just say that story. And I was, I remember sitting there and trying to remember all the stories from my life, right? And that's like, okay, I'm going to go and open up that girl. And then I'm going to transition and I'm going to make combination of those stories and she'll be entranced and charmed and and here I am and then I finally have sex <laughs> and it, you know it's and it's uh, I don't know how many women I've spoken to this way probably well over thousands did it get me any high quality relationships well not really because I was still unchanged deep inside it was still a facade still facade okay I was it just presenting just this uh, fancy and nail varnish, but I was still the same on the inside. So it was all not very sustainable. Okay, I got to to meet many or at least some of those girls, maybe a small fraction for a day the next day. And they would just look at me probably it's like, who is this guy? It's like, what am I doing here? It's like, I, I don't see any, any authenticity, nothing real about him. And I was sitting there and I was nervous, shaking, anxious with my palms sweating. And it didn't go far in, in many, many, most vast majority of the cases. Plus, as I later find out, I was also highly sensitive and a little bit autistic. So just being in the whole kind of nightclub environments is completely flooded all my system. So I was there shaking and uh, it was so hard. Really, really tough time. 
but also little by little, it helped me actually to connect you to, to, to start owning more who I am. So some things I did, even when I was a teenager, like doing karate, for example, and typical what considered as masculine activity. Uh, I did um, improv, improvisation. I uh, did lots of salsa dancing for like seven years and, and I still love it, even though I haven't danced for a while. Uh, later on, I joined a shooting club and I started riding motorcycles and all of that. Okay, so let me do all of these masculine things and that helped because, okay, in my essence, I had a lot of those masculine traits. But I think, you know, there, there's of course the caveat because what about men who are not, you know, necessarily masculine? Like there's place for them as well and they can have a relationship too, in which case it's really not about the activity per se, but about only who they are and not being afraid of it. So the next step beyond the activities, beyond all that crazy time in the seduction society was actually doing a lot, a heck of a lot of inner work. So I did all my own psychology courses and not, okay, part of me wanted to work with people, but part of me just says like, I desperately need it for myself. So I did everything. I read like so many self-development books. I was there doing uh, neurolinguistic programming exercises. I was doing the EFT tapping and all of that was just really connecting deep inside with all the parts of me that I was so deeply ashamed of. So with that five-year-old Sasha from the kindergarten, he was shaked, shaken and, and threatened, connecting with him, reassuring him that he is enough, not me in the present age, he is enough. He is lovable. He is good. That he doesn't need to please anyone to gain love. Sasha's insight that he didn't need to please anyone to gain love, that beautiful moment with his child self, wasn't a one and done. It took Sasha 15 years to get to this place with plenty of trial and error. Nowadays, Sasha helps recovering nice guys and recovering good girls who are often anxious, they're carrying a lot of shame, they might have depression. You can find the details of his private practice in the show notes. Sasha says that healing, thank goodness, doesn't need to take 15 years like it did for him. I asked him for some shortcuts that we could try in our own lives right away. Shortcut number one, cutting right to that heart of, of being enough. And that's self-compassion. So I would highly recommend a book by Christian Neff called Self-Compassion. And that's the foundation. Because for lots of nice guys, that self-judgment and shame so tightly linked as at the heart of of hiding their desires and needs and not be able to express and own and feel them. So self-compassion is basically is a counter to that. So starting with self-compassion, self-compassion of course leads to self-acceptance. And there is still a gap between self-acceptance and self-love, but self-acceptance is a very good starting point and actually also not very easy, but starting self-compassion then little by little is to start tapping in into that self-acceptance and anything that stands in the way of it knowing that whatever thought belief anything that stands in the way of being enough of being uh, enough as i am as they are is a lie big fat lie so i would 
recommend, of course, doing something with an active ingredient. Talking, talking therapies are good, and there are plenty of talented, well-trained therapists, psychotherapists. However, I am biased in recommending something with that kind of actual oomph to it. Something like neurolinguistic programming or emotional freedom technique, or at the very least something with an embodied, active embodied element to it. Because, of course, emotions, feelings, they are sensed in the body. We must use our bodies. So in this way, anything that helps man, if you're speaking about nice guys, uh, is to get inside you. What are those feelings inside? Lots of them may be very, very uncomfortable. Is to feel their way through those feelings. Because again, parts of being a nice guy is that all of these feelings that are being, being suppressed, tightly wound deep inside, deposited into the shadow, hidden away. And it's impossible to really uh, tap into the very hearts of who you are without releasing all of the crap. So is that. It's feeling how those feelings are felt into the body. And perhaps every morning, and there is an exercise I recommend to all of my nice guy clients, is, it's called the mirror exercise. And it literally goes like this. As you go around your day and, for example, brush your teeth or shave your beard or mustache, looking into the mirror and saying, name, I accept you exactly as you are. And you are enough. And it's not an affirmation. It's not like, okay, I just say it 10 times and then I believe it. No, 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 no. You say it. And then you watch all the shit coming up. And that's that what we are dealing with. Shit comes up and then you do whatever technique, active technique to deal with the shit. So I recommend EFT tapping. So even though I'm feeling this tight feeling on the inside, that says like, heck no, you are not enough. You are bad. You are shameful. You are, you are reproachable. Even though I'm feeling this, I want to feel that I'm enough. Okay, maybe not today, but one day. I want to love and accept myself as I am, no matter how distant or impossible it feels. And so it could be breathing, it could be NLP technique, whatever, just to feel their way through all of that stuff. Little by little, all of that gets released. Little, little level of self-confidence increases. And that when the questions of what I actually want become possible, and that's a critical question. What do I want? Being in such one's own needs. And there'd be lots of like, okay, as a nice guy, I must want this, or I have to do that, or I should be doing this, or etc. And it's it's really a label air shedding off all of that stuff. Because that doesn't belong. That's all that imposition from, from outside. And that's all related to childhood trauma and all of that society pushing obligations on us. And then little by little discovering, okay, what do I actually want? And then little by little doing that. Do you remember the I want exercise from episode 15 with Monique DuBose? Sasha does a really interesting twist on that I want exercise that might be really appropriate if somebody would identify as a nice guy or have that good girl conditioning. So I want you to listen out for how he spins that about letting go of the shoulds. And as you're doing your journaling or doing your walk or driving to your next appointment, maybe you can start to think about these exercises. Listen to his spin. Like what I want 
if uh, my parents didn't mind? Or what would I want if I couldn't fail? What would I want if I was guaranteed to get it? What would I want if it was okay to fail? Uh, what do I want if no one minded and everyone wants me to have it? And so all of these questions kind of to open up. What, I've, what I have always wanted as a kid, but never could allow myself to have. So all of these questions to, to really get in touch with genuine desire somewhere underneath the layers of conditioning and, and, and trauma. Sasha's about to share a really important part of this episode and something that you can try in your own life right away. He's talking about experimentation. So trying to figure out what feels good. What's a way of getting to know yourself? So as he's talking, I want you to think about some of the things that would feel delicious to bring more of into your life. And also his point about cultivating high quality relationships. What type of person do you need more of in your life? And what kind of person do you need less of? Who we surround ourselves with is massively important. All right, let's get back to Sasha. Big part of it is practical experimenting, is going out into, into the world and actually trying a lot of things. And of course, there'll be fear. Of course, there'll be anxiety for nice guys that certainly will be. But, it, but it's really just there. It's being around other, other people. So in, many, in case of many nice guys with their suppressed masculinity is being around other men and just hanging out, listening to what those men are saying, listening and watching how they are, and then finding the matching parts on the inside, trying lots of different activities and interests, and again, seeing what resonates and not needing kind of to, to master something that they're not good at if they don't, if it doesn't resonate, but little by little seeing what naturally resonates with something deep inside, because it's then through those activities they can elicit more of who they are. Talk us through any experience that you have or advice that you have for somebody who is in a relationship as the nice guy and is just done with it. What can they expect? What can they do to navigate the turbulence? First of all, in a relationship where there is a nice guy, there'll be lots of codependency. There'll be a lot of enmeshments with a with girlfriend, partner, wife, spouse and again there could be still the same situation not being aware what what i want in that relationship so good boundaries step number one good boundaries and space to explore and to be oneself and so that might mean science like look you know i, I love you and sunday is mine i'm just gonna go and be there with my guys riding motorcycles and shooting rifles or horse riding whatever it is i want to do going to say psychology seminars or working with a therapist, uh, whatever it is, just the private space to explore. Because obviously it's impossible to start sharing who you are with your girlfriend, wife, or partner if you don't know who you are. So you need to discover that who you are first. And then uh, step number two is, and that actually applies not just nice guys, but to everyone. There is a wonderful book by, by John Gottman. I recommend anything by John Gottman. Uh, seven keys to making marriage work. And one of the first steps in making any marriage work is to really uh, understand each other's world 
and case of nice guys because they've been hiding there inside world for so long <laughs> their wife has no idea who they really are and what their world is so it starts in little by little sharing their discoveries what they found out there in their own private time time hanging out with men in their men's group what they're actually about what their needs wants desires little by little perhaps not kind of open up all the gates of health straight away but little by little and then it can it can lead into two places that of course that the relationship dynamics will change and uh, their partner will accept who they are who they really are behind all the layers of that pretense and welcome it or it can go in opposite direction that could be like no no no, i like you there i like you there is like my little servants is nice guys like doing all these things for me and so uh, actually, I don't care about your wants and needs, in which case relationship obviously is not tenable. And then this is another piece of work for that nice guy is being willing to, to separate, knowing, and then that, that can trigger lots of crap. Because all of these things like uh, abandonments, I'll be alone forever, no one else will love me. That will come out. So uh, it's it's willing to work all the way through all of that stuff because only then they'll be able to share who they really are and to own it and be more authentic with their partner. So we couldn't leave this episode without talking about confrontation. Why is it so hard and so challenging for nice guys to handle confrontation in their intimate relationships? It can feel so much easier to revert to being boundaryless or being needless. In the moment, it can feel so much easier than actually engaging in confrontation and conflict. So is all of this behavior really down to the fear of confrontation? Is that at the heart of it? Oh, it's at the heart of so many things. Because obviously it's nice guys, they don't start when somebody starts telling them, it's like, okay, suppress your needs, wants and needs when you're fine. No, it starts right from the get-go. It starts from the very breath, from the first breath of a baby and that the way how baby, how the son is attached to his mother. Because and it, it's, it goes all the way to attachment theory and attachment needs. And I would say that's, Okay, that's, that's a speculation. I haven't done specific scientific research on that. But for a lot of nice guys, the type of attachments they're going to have is anxious caregiving. So they're anxious, they're fearful, they're fearful of being abundant, and they are taking care of their primary caregiver, usually mother, but could be father as well, in hoping like, okay, I'll take care of my mother and she'll take, care, take better care of me. And of course, I don't want to make my mother angry. I don't want conflict because then she won't love me. She'll abandon me and I'll die. So it's, it's at the heart of it. Is that fear of that, okay, if I express what I want, if there is conflict, I will be abandoned, left alone and lonely. And then that's like a death of personality. And can this anxious caregiving, I like that term, that will then morph into the attention that's given to a partner, for example, to, to a wife, girlfriend, partner, and that will continue to bubble and play out underneath the surface. Absolutely. Yeah, it's, it's the whole structure. Okay, if I'm just nice enough to people around, in this case, specifically to my girlfriend, say, uh, in that case, uh, uh, she will, as, as far as I please others, they will take care of me. That's the structure. 
Mm-hmm. So, and if I'm not nice to others, they won't take care of me. And hence fear and terror anxiety comes up. So in sum, what we're trying to do here, you from your practice side, my from my coaching side work, we're kind of doing the same thing from different angles is really getting people to find their own center of gravity, to get in touch with their own needs and wants and desires and to feel safe expressing them, creating boundaries, for example, being in the confrontation if necessary, and that understanding that confrontation doesn't have to be confrontational or aggressive. It can simply be a safe place to express one's likes, dislikes, boundaries, to stand for what one believes in. It's moving away from that codependency and unvelcroing from that and creating safety in oneself. Is that fair to say? It is fair to say. And it's, it's more about how to go about doing that. Because, uh, you know, I've, I've heard a lot of approaches which are pretty much like fake it until you make it. Mm-hmm. So it's engaging then conflict and then getting desensitized and becoming more and more okay, okay with the conflict. But at the same time, there will still be that level of discomfort and anxiety underneath every time in a confrontational situation. Or it will be just depleting energetically. So uh, I think it's it, that work is critical and it needs to go hand in hand with developing the strong relationship with yourself where uh, you are never alone anymore, where you've got that you inside who is approved of you and loves you unconditionally. And so in this way, even if I'm in conflict with my partner and then they run away, I don't need to go chasing after them. Because I'm still with me, I'm still, I'm not alone, I'm not abundant. And also, of course, having a, a quality friendship circle who really see you, who accept you as you are, that critical as well. Because again, that diminishes that fear of being abundant. I ask every guest to leave a brick of wisdom because I look at this as a journey to enough. We're coming back to our wholeness. We're coming back to kind of like get to the diamond after the shit and the nail polish has taken off. So it could be a phrase. It could be a quote. I'm just inviting you to share whatever is present for you right now as your brick of wisdom to leave with listeners. What would you say? I would say that self-compassion is at the very heart of being enough. I hope you are taking away a couple of goodies from Dr. Sasha Mitrovanov. I especially love that mirror exercise of looking at yourself in the mirror when you're brushing your teeth, shaving, whatever you do every morning and saying, I accept myself exactly as I am. And then wait for what pops up. That's what you're dealing with, right? So the point is not to like smirch in the mirror. I mean, you can do that if that's your gig, but it's really to see what comes up when you look yourself in the eye and accept yourself unconditionally, right? And then breathe through whatever the feelings are or check out emotional freedom technique, EFT or NLP, as he said. More on Dr. Sasha Mitrofanov on his website, which you'll find in the show notes. Next week... We have Dr. Anne Lane, a clinical psychologist, who's going to teach us some tips and tricks on how to raise children who have deep-rooted sense of good enoughness built in. Here's a preview of what you can expect. Your role as a parent is to provide that safe 
space, that sounding board, that gentle presence that I, I'm open to all of this. You can tell me anything about it. I'm not going to try and fix it or solve it. I'm just going to give you the space to find your own feet, to reflect on it, to begin to digest those emotions. I'm so glad that you're here. I look forward to playing with you again next week. This is Mandy Leto signing out for Enough, the podcast. Thank you.